Last week I challenged you to come to that place of total surrender and absolute consecration to God. In fact, we find that very thing, as I mentioned a few weeks ago in Romans chapter 6, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, chapter 6, verse 12 of Romans, that you obey its lust and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. And here's the commitment, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God, for sin shall not be master over you, for you're not under law but under grace. And I ask you the question this morning, Why would you make that kind of commitment? As a believer, why would you consecrate yourself in absolute surrender to God like this verse is challenging us? And the answer to that is beyond a rather dry and barren Christian life lies a land full of milk and honey. A land of great promise, a place of bounty. God offers to us a joy unspeakable and full of glory. He gives us the promise of His personal experience of fellowship and accompaniment, walking with us every day, just like He did with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day before uh, the fall that He promises us close fellowship with Himself in a place that is filled with blessing. Why would you want to wander in the wilderness battling with the struggle between the flesh and the devil and the world and the Spirit? Uh, You know, there's no more miserable person than a believer who is not walking in the Spirit. Unbelievers... (laughs) don't care. They're living for the world, the flesh, and the devil, and they're living it to the hilt until they run into a roadblock of some sort. And spirit-filled believers are living in a land of bounty and joy. But believers who are wandering in the wilderness between uh, the experience of salvation And the decision of faith to be filled with the Spirit and to move into Canaan's land. That wilderness area is a dry and barren land. It fills us with frustration and despair and misery and tension and turmoil because our flesh is pulling us one way and the Spirit is pulling us another way and we're in conflict. And in that midst of that turmoil, there is a person who is very unhappy. And so last week we considered the initial step of coming to full surrender of devotion and consecration to the Lord, presenting ourselves to Him. Lord, I take my hands off. I give you myself, lock, stock, and barrel. I turn myself over to you. I, I, I ask you to take all of the members of my body and my personality and use them for your glory. I devote them to you. I don't want to be in charge. I want you to take over control of my life. 
And that's as far as we got last week. Have you made that commitment to Him? Have you thought about it this week? Have you allowed the Holy Spirit to press that home to your heart to where if you have not done so before, you have come to the place where you have invited God to completely take over your life and to be in charge of it. That's your Kadesh Barnea. Are you going to go forward by faith into the land of promise? Or are you going to shrink back in fear and wander in the wilderness? The choice is really yours. God is gracious. His Holy Spirit will not, as I've said, come kicking uh, and smashing His way into your life to take over. He is waiting for an invitation from you to take control. Once we do that, I mentioned there are three areas that overlap one another. The area of full surrender to God in every area of our life. The area of death to the self-life on the journey to the cross. And the area of freedom from law-keeping. One of the things that comes as a surprise to believers is between Kadesh Barnea and the Jordan, wherein they planted their feet before the Jordan waters dried up, there was yet a journey to take. And looming in front of them was Jericho and a battleground. And they had to go in and possess the land. Jesse Penn Lewis, by the way, has written an interesting little booklet called Conquest of Canaan. And uh, if you can, in fact, I just bought all of Jesse Penn Lewis's writings for, I think, $2.99 on Kindle. And so uh, you can afford that quite easily. But uh, Jesse Penn Lewis wrote this little book called Conquest of Canaan, wherein she likens this experience... Uh, to spiritual warfare in our Christian life as we move into the land of promise. And indeed, there is warfare. And one of the things that we need to learn right at the outset is to put no confidence in the flesh. We have to come to the place where we are not trusting ourselves. And and let me tell you, that is not natural for us. That is very unnatural. We are so much in the habit of relying on our own ingenuity, our own abilities, our own uh, thinking processes, our own desires. We're so much used to that, that even when we come to Christ and we try to sanctify that ourselves... Which, by the way, you can't sanctify yourself. You can't make yourself holy. But uh, we try to. And, and we think, well, I'll just give this to God, and then it'll sort of be baptized, you know. It'll be made okay, and then I can continue to use it. And God needs to bring us to the place where we have no confidence in the flesh. Because as long as we have confidence in the flesh, we are not going to be dependent upon Him. Why should I let God do what I'm perfectly capable of doing? That's our mindset. That's the norm for us. 
And <laughs> many believers fall into that uh, uh, mindset of thinking, not just uh, the average believer, let me, <laughs> I'm going somewhere I don't want to go because I don't even believe it, but let me, let me say what I mean. A lot of you put pastors on a pedestal. I'm just like you are. I'm not any different. I got dressed the same way you did this morning. I do not put both feet in my pants at the same time. Sometimes I have trouble putting them in one at a time. So (laughs) I can assure you, they don't go in both together. Um, I'm just like you are. But we tend to put pastors on a pedestal. And the problem is that many teachers and preachers have this all wrong. And so their people get it all wrong, and the average believer out there gets it all wrong, that somehow we're to give our gifts to God and then use them for His glory. The way we want to do it. And you cannot use your gifts, use your aptitudes, use your abilities for God. That's the flesh in operation. And you're going to fail. And if you haven't already discovered that and you get serious with God, He will take you down a road that will expose you to the reality that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells nothing good. And what Jesus said in John 15 is absolutely true. Without me, you can do nothing. Now, you will be able to do some things. But they will not have eternal value, eternal consequence. And they will not be bathed and empowered by the Spirit in such a glorious way that you will experience the communion of God with you and in you as you live each moment. God wants to bring you to a place where He is working through you And you are enjoying His presence and delighting in what He does. And that is real joy. When you see God working through you and you say, wow, He is so amazing. I want to see that every day. Moses, I give you some examples. Moses... You know how he was um, put in a basket and, and put to float in the edge of the water. And how Pharaoh's daughter went down and found this little Hebrew baby. And took her into the house of Pharaoh. And it just so happened that she needed a nurse from among the Hebrews to care for this little infant and mom was called and so God worked that out in a beautiful way and you can be sure that mom as Moses began to grow that mom began to explain to him how he was saved from uh, the the slaughter of the infants under Pharaoh and, and how God had a plan for him and how he was going to deliver the Israelites uh, from their their woes and their misery and 
And Moses grew up in Pharaoh's household, being trained in all the ways of Egypt. And you look at the pyramids, and they still baffle minds today. Moses understood all of that math. He understood the warfare of the Egyptians. He understood the management structure of the Egyptians. He knew how the kingdom was run. He had all of the skill and all of the brilliance. And one day he saw an Egyptian mistreating a Hebrew slave. And uh, he went up to him when he thought no one was looking and he killed him. And then the next day he saw two Hebrews uh, fighting among themselves. And he went up to break it up because they shouldn't be having that kind of argument. And one of them said to him, are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? And all of a sudden he realized he had been seen and the news was out. And Moses fled Egypt. And you know how he ended up out in the wilderness, uh, in the backside of the desert, as it were, uh, tending Jethro's flocks. Moses was 40 years old when that event occurred. And he was another 40 years old before he met God at the burning bush. It took 40 years in Moses' life to undo what it took 40 years in Pharaoh's household to build. It took 40 years to destroy Moses' confidence in himself until he was feeling insecure and unable and insignificant. And then one day, when he was kind of at the bottom uh, rung of his self-image, he saw a bush burning, and as he went to inspect it, he heard a voice that said, Moses, take your sandals off your feet, you're standing on holy ground. And Moses had an encounter with God. And you know how that encounter went. Go back and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses said, there is no way, no how, no chance. I can't do that. Furthermore, I can't even speak. I stammer. I stutter. I'm a failure I don't have any ability. Friends, that's precisely when God could use him. That is precisely when God could work through him. He had lost all self-confidence. And now he needed to lean on the Lord. And in that leaning... He ultimately surrendered to God and went back to Egypt and God delivered the Israelites 40 years later. You know what? God is not in a hurry to work in your life. He'd rather do it right than do it fast. And He will bring you to the end of yourself however long it takes so that you will not have confidence in yourself. Jeremiah was called of God. You remember his call? Before I formed you in the womb, 
I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah is saying, how can I do this? I'm just a a youth. I'm barely a teenager. And God said to him, do not say I am a youth. Because all that I give to you, you shall speak. And everything I say, you will repeat. And you will speak my words. And I will empower you. And I will use you for my glory. And there came a time after Jeremiah surrendered to the call of God, there came a time when he said, God, you've deceived me. This is not what I signed up for. Read that in Jeremiah 17 and Jeremiah 20. I didn't sign up for this. I'm getting nothing but grief. People are resisting the message. I want to quit. I'm tired of talking. People aren't listening. I'm ready to hang it up, Lord. I'm tired of being your servant. It's not what I counted on experiencing. And Jeremiah said, I tried to close my mouth, but there burned a fire within my bones and I could not keep silent. Because God would not let him go. Jeremiah had come to that broken place. He started out there and then came to a full understanding. I don't have any power or ability. But God determined to use him in his weakness to accomplish his goals. Do you remember Peter? (laughs) On the uh, last uh, few days of Jesus' life and Jesus... uh, explaining that he was actually going to the cross, and Peter stands up and says, Lord, that will never happen to you. I'm not going to let that. I will never deny you. I'll stand up for you. I'll give my own life for you. I'll die for you before I ever let anything happen to you. I'm going to stand with you no matter what. Jesus said, oh, Peter, you really don't know yourself very well. Before the rooster crows in the morning, the third time, or before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. I will never deny you. Peter, Satan has desired to have you that he can sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you. And when you turn, don't miss that. Peter was a broken man between that night and the next morning. He said, I'm going fishing. I'm done with this Jesus stuff. It's not that I don't love him, but I've embarrassed myself and I have nothing to offer. I'm going to go back to fishing. But I have prayed for you. And when you turn, strengthen your brothers. We talked last week about that A scenario at the seashore where Jesus said, do you love me? But I imagine that Peter, when he denied with cursing and an oath, I don't know that man. And Jesus turned and looked at him, a penetrating gaze. And Peter withered with the knowledge that he had denied his Lord. 
And in that moment, all the pride, all the confidence drained out of him. He was now ready to be used by God. And on the day of Pentecost, filled with the Spirit, he stood up and spoke. Paul tells us after his challenge to us in Romans chapter 6, he tells us in chapter 7, that the thing that really got him was coveting. Murder, no problem. Adultery, no problem. Lying, no problem. Um, I, I, I am a perfect man t- as touching the law, concerning all the things that the law says. I've kept every one of them, not just the ten, but all the ones the Jews have and all the ones they've added. I have been a Pharisee of Pharisees. I have been at the cream of the crop. I've kept all the rules. But that thing about coveting, about desiring what other people have, their position, their, their possession, their, their recognition, I, that's inside of me and I can't escape that it plagues me and I have broken that commandment and Paul said that was my Waterloo he didn't say that because that hadn't happened yet but anyway Paul said that's where I came to the end of myself I kept trying not to covet and I couldn't I kept wanting stuff I kept wanting to, to be the lead person. I kept wanting to be on top. And, and, and even after I became a believer. You know what's interesting? Paul was on top. He wrote more of the New Testament. He got the gospel more clearly than anyone. Paul really was the greatest theologian in the New Testament. In my opinion. I think John may have been vying for that position, but Paul was well-trained and under the control of the Holy Spirit, Paul's abilities and aptitudes were used to the uttermost. But until the time that he came to the end of himself and said, I know that in me that is in my flesh, there's nothing good. I have no confidence there. I don't put any hope there. I've learned not to trust me because I'm not trustworthy. And I put all my trust and hope in his work within me that God was able to use Paul. And he burst forth into Romans 8 with that glorious testimony of life in the Spirit. Friend, there is a promised land waiting for us full of grace, full of glory, full of blessing, full of bounty, full of Jesus. But to get there, you have to allow God to discipline you and work in you, to break you of confidence in yourself. Are you willing to let Him do that? Are you willing this morning to let God take your life And do with it whatever He pleases to break you of self-confidence. 
Because until you have no trust in yourself, you will not be able to live in full dependence upon the Holy Spirit. That's a part of the equation of the Spirit-filled life. Full surrender. Dying to self. And then... Lastly, I have said God will prove that we have died to law-keeping and lead us to freedom. I wish I could go through so much of Galatians for you, but Galatians is, is the classic letter in the New Testament dealing with our relationship with the law. And, and Paul makes it so plain, speaking to them, he says, who, who has bewitched you? Who has misled you? Uh, that having begun by the Spirit, you now think you're going to be perfected in the flesh. That, you're, that, that law-keeping is going to sanctify you. Some people say, you come to Jesus for forgiveness and salvation, and then you live the rest of your life seeking to please Him. What does that look like? How does that shape up in your experience? How do you live to please God? I'll bet you that if I were to take a survey this morning, most of you would give me a list of things you ought to do. And a list of things you ought not to do. And, and you would present to me your list. And your list is... A list of rules, of do's and don'ts, that you would seek to live by. And I want you to know this morning that Jesus Christ has set us free from the law. Read Galatians. I've read through Galatians several times this week. Read through Galatians. Go home this week and make that your assignment. Read what Paul has to say about law-keeping as a believer. He's not talking about the Ten Commandments. He's not talking about the um, Levitical laws of, of the um, worship experience or the peculiar laws of the dietary requirements. He's not talking about that. In fact, a Jewish person would never divide the law. A Jewish person looks at the law, those books of Moses, and that is the law. They don't separate the Ten Commandments. They don't separate the moral law from the Levitical law, from, from the dietary law. They don't do that. It's one whole. It's the law. It begins with the covenant of circumcision. And everything flows from it. And if you look at Galatians, he plainly says, circumcision is not the way to sanctification. He takes that as the beginning point, as the overarching, overriding place where the law begins. It begins with a covenant of circumcision and it follows forth in obedience to the principles and rules and regulations of Jewish life. And Paul says, Jesus Christ has made us free from that. What do I mean by free from that? 
I've said that this this is, is scary to a lot of people. Because God has torn the fences down. And you and I are no longer under the law. We're free. The law does not apply. None of the law applies. Let me back up and say that again in case you missed it. None of the law applies. Let me say that one more time. None of the law applies. None of it. We're free from it. It holds no sway over our lives. We are intended to walk by the Spirit, not according to the law. Paul tells us this in Romans chapter 8 when he says, For what the law could not do because of the weakness of my flesh, God did, sending His own Son for sin and in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in His body, in His flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled through me, in me, by me, who does not walk by the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, since I spent a lot of time belaboring the point that we're free from the law, by the way, we're free from the law, in case you missed it, That does not mean we can do whatever we want. You say, I knew there was a catch. (laughs) The catch is this. You live by the Spirit. And you do what He tells you. He will never lead you to do anything contrary to the character of God. We don't have to be told, thou shalt not lie, because God is not a liar, and the Holy Spirit will never lead us to lie. God is a covenant-keeping God. You don't have to pray over whether you should divorce your spouse. I can tell you the answer to that question. You should not. Why? Because God is a covenant-keeping God. He keeps covenant. Now, I didn't say you should, you should live with your spouse. If you're being abused, you may need to take a place of safety. The Israelites had a simple way of solving that. They just put people to death. But, unfortunately, uh, our law protects abusers to a certain extent. Ruth Graham was being interviewed one time by a a reporter. And the reporter asked her if she'd ever considered divorcing Billy Graham. And she said, I have never considered divorce. Murder has crossed my mind a few times. (laughs) Take that as it, put that wherever you want to put it. God is a covenant-keeping God. 
And, and, and if that confuses you, come see me. I can't cover everything in the next three minutes. So just come see me, okay, if I've disturbed you. But here's what I'm saying to you. And, and by the way, what's past is past. So put it under the blood and go on from here. You can't go fix stuff that's already past. Just move on in Jesus. But the Holy Spirit will lead us always in accordance with the character of God. He always knows what Jesus would do. He always knows what to do. You don't have to get out the Bible and go flipping through the pages when you're in the middle of a decision and say, Oh God, oh God, what do I do? What do I do? Let me find the verse. The Holy Spirit will lead you. He may lead you to check the pages, but He may just tell you what to do. What does that have to do with all kinds of Christian rules? Aren't we supposed to have a quiet time? Aren't we supposed to read our Bible? Aren't we supposed to pray? Aren't we supposed to have devotions? Well, yes. Does it have to be 30 minutes in the morning when you first get up? After you take a shower? When you have your coffee? You've got to make the coffee first, then you can have your devotions. Does it have to be the last 20 minutes before you go to bed? Do you have to... I was thinking this morning, you know, I can't remember the last time I opened the pages of a leather-bound book called the Bible. Because I have it here. I have just about any version I want to touch my finger to. And I can get the Greek and the Hebrew. I read from an iPad. The early believers, they didn't have parchments or scrolls, most of them. Uh, they were found in the synagogues, but uh, the Gentiles didn't have any of that background. And yet James says the law of God is a mirror. I look into the mirror to see how I compare what's looking back at me. Because the, the, the scriptures, the word of God reflects to us the character of God. And as we read the scriptures, we find out what God is like. And the question is, do I look like that? And if I don't, then I say, Holy Spirit, produce that within me. I don't look like that. Produce that quality in my life. Not, oh, i got to add that to the list of things I'm trying to accomplish. You're not going to accomplish it. You're going to fail. But if you read the Word and see your reflection and there's a disparity, the Holy Spirit will convict you and He will show you how He wants to produce that in your life. And you just turn it over to Him and say, God, it's your problem. You're my sanctifier. I can't do this. It's your task. It's your job. Should you pray? Well, how are you going to have communion and fellowship with the Holy Spirit if you don't ever talk to God? Of course you should pray. Should you pray 15 minutes in the morning and use the Acts formula? Please, people, we're free from the law. 
Let the Holy Spirit guide you. He may guide you to memorize Scripture. He may guide you to pray in this way or that way. He may guide you to read the Word in this fashion or that fashion. It may be an hour a day. It may be ten minutes a day. It may be morning. It may be evening. It may be over lunch. I don't know. It may be seven times a day. You may pray on your knees. You may stand, pray standing up. You may pray driving. I don't know. I wouldn't advise you to close your eyes if you pray driving. <laughs> and by the way, should you close your eyes? Where did that come from? The Jews prayed looking up to heaven with their hands raised. Where did we get closing our eyes and doing this number? Does it matter? It does not matter. We're free from law. Let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Here's the issue. And I've given you some examples. You can look them up on your own. Because I don't have time to go into them. But, but just think about this. We desire rules because they make us feel secure and give us a metric for measuring our progress against our own past and against one another. And you know what the scripture says? Why do you compare yourself with yourselves? Why do you look at your brother or sister to gauge how well you're doing? Friends, your example is Jesus, not your brother. It's Jesus. Let God worry about him. You need to look at you and say, do I look like Jesus? That's what the Holy Spirit wants to reproduce. So, rules give us a metric, and they give us nice, secure fences. Because they can avoid a dependent relationship upon and with the Holy Spirit for our daily life. Do you see what I'm saying? You don't ever have to talk to God if you have a bunch of rules to follow. You don't ever have to have communion with Him. You don't ever have to get serious. All you have to do is just follow the plan and do what you've been told and you can pat yourself on the back. That's what the Pharisees did. And Jesus said, if your righteousness does not go beyond that, you're in deep trouble. But if you are free from the rules, you had better be dependent on the Lord. Because if you're neither following the rules nor following the Spirit, you're going to head right off the cliff. You're going to end up in disaster. You can rationalize anything if you try. You can come up with a reason. And it won't be any more biblical than anything. But if you rely on the Holy Spirit every moment of every day, living by the Spirit, He will guide you, He will direct you, He will lead you, He will counsel you, He will govern you, He will be near you, 
he will bring the presence of God into your life and you will be surprised what he does. We're talking Canaan land here. So, what do you want? A bunch of rules or do you want the Holy Spirit and Jesus? You can't be perfected in the flesh by keeping the rules. You have to be led by the Spirit. The flesh ends up in all kinds of problems. Galatians chapter 5. It gives a whole list of the deeds of the flesh. And then it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is everything that Jesus is. Love and joy and peace and patience and long-suffering and gentleness and kindness and self-control. These are the things that are like Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will produce those in your life. And you'll be able to love your neighbor like you love yourself and love God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not telling you to go out and do anything you want to do. I'm telling you to live by the Spirit. And if you're not going to live by the Spirit, well, you'd be safer living by the rules, but you're not going to be spiritual. You're going to be of the flesh, sold into bondage to the flesh. I want to commend to you a book, They Found the Secret. I mentioned it a while back, V. Raymond Edmund edited a number of stories. Hudson Taylor, John Bunyan, Amy Carmichael, Oswald Chambers, Richard Halverson, John Hyde, Dwight Moody, Hanley C.G. Moule, Andrew Murray, Eugenia Price, Walter Wilson, John Wood, W.E. and Thomas, and many others whose stories are in this that validate from all denominations and all backgrounds, they validate what I'm telling you. I realize I've been rather pedantic in my speech, but I don't apologize. We need to get it. We need to get it. And and you can get this book. I'm not advocating Amazon. I'm just telling you that's one place you can get it for about four bucks right now. Or seven if you want it in the mail. But I encourage you to read it. I encourage you to read Andrew Murray, The Believer's New Covenant. You can get all of the writings of Andrew Murray for three bucks. Every one he's ever wrote. So go look and see what's out there. But I encourage you. Let the Holy Spirit lead your life. Are you willing to go on the journey Begin with consecration. Open yourself to God's dealing discipline to to bring you to death to self. Understand what it's like to listen to His voice and be filled with the Spirit, walking every day in the power of the Holy Spirit, and let Him lead you in an abundant, joyful, Spirit-filled Christian life. Life in Christ. That's what he wants. When he said, I give you my joy. When he said, I've come to give you life and that in all of its abundance. This is what he was talking about. Getting saved is just the beginning. 
It's just the beginning. There's so much more. He wants to lead you to it and take you to Canaan and bless you and fill your life with abundance. Oh, friend, reach out and grasp this. Take it for yourself. He offers it freely. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves and one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Allow Him to fill you with His presence under His influence. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name that you put a burning desire in every heart this morning to walk by the Spirit. That we would not fulfill the desires of the flesh. But Lord, having no confidence in the flesh, we would lean all of ourselves upon you. And allow you to control and operate within us according to your perfect will. To prove that which is good and acceptable and perfect in your sight. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.